who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. Hi, Keegan. Hi, Madigan. How are you doing today? Well, you know, we have our chit chats before we start our episodes. And we, you know, we've been there for each other today for Father's Day. It is Sunday when we are recording uh, so it, it's nice to have these conversations with you today, Keegan, and feel a little bit less alone, uh, and know that it can be a rough day for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I know it's funny that every time we record, I ask how you're doing or you ask how I'm doing when we've already had the conversation, but it's kind of just like for the sake of the listeners, I feel like, uh, It's good for them, them to know our mental standpoint before going in because I think last week... <laughs> It was probably pretty shocking that I broke down crying. <laughs> so it's good to know where our mental headspace is. I feel pretty good today. I felt like shit last night, but I feel pretty good today. Same. Exactly the same. I yeah. felt like shit last night. I didn't sleep well. I'm having some same. family issues. But today I actually feel okay. Um, I'm super ready to talk about Juneteenth. Exactly. Let's get into it. So I did want to say that I... Went to a Juneteenth celebration on Friday. Oh, yes, Friday. you did. So which one did you... Did you go to the one at the Galleria? No, there was one at a park here in Sherman Oaks. So Anthony was, of course, very concerned with maintaining social distance. So we chose a place deliberately that we could ride our bikes to. That's so right. We rode our bikes down to the park, and it actually had so many more people than I was expecting. There was a huge stage. Uh, it was... A really, really, really cool time. I really wish 
that we could have celebrated fully without being nervous about being around people. We managed to maintain really good distance, but um, there were so many things going on up close to the stage that I wanted to participate in that I felt like I couldn't fully. So that's just something to look forward to in years to come. Yeah, exactly. I was looking at the different celebrations on Instagram that were going on in my area, and I was working, so I couldn't really go anywhere if I wanted to. So we took a little road trip to Heavenly Pond. That's kind of off of Mulholland in LA and it's beautiful. But you have to take cold water, which is right by where the Galleria is. And there was going to be a celebration. And I think we just missed it. It was at noon and we drove by at like 1.30 and we didn't really see many people there. But I, I wonder wish if they I did a march it. or something because typically yeah. celebrations last for a while. Like we actually ended up leaving early. We stayed for a few hours and then I was starving. So we left. Uh, but it was really, really cool. I'm so glad we did it. And I'd actually gone to a Juneteenth celebration before in Missouri. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't really have a full grasp of the historical context. Right. Again, this wasn't something even living in southern Missouri which like is fairly you know not that far away from Texas has a, a kind of similar culture in a lot of ways it was not something that was taught in schools for sure nope. uh, and it was kind of this thing that you had to have the inside track on with the black community in order to know exactly that it was a thing exactly this is something I, I know I've seen in the past and I knew the word Juneteenth but it wasn't something that I had ever been taught or learned. So I'm really glad that I got a more in-depth understanding. And I love whenever we talk about anything to do with Texas, because my boyfriend being raised in Dallas had, you know, a very different uh, education in elementary school, especially when learning about the history of Texas and things like that. So it's interesting, you know, and obviously he shares my views. So it's interesting to see uh, what is discussed in school in Texas revolving a lot of these historical dates and, you know, the stuff that we're learning now independently on our own. It's very fascinating to kind of have that insight. Um, Yeah. So so, I wanted to say that I got a lot of my information. We talked before we got started that we both got a lot of information on a website called Juneteenth.com. I highly recommend going and reading on Juneteenth.com. Great resource. very cool. Uh, also kind of a surprising resource for me was the first thing I saw when I woke up, grabbed my phone, checked my phone on Friday, which was Juneteenth. Uh, there was a article written by Ben and Jerry's. They wrote a whole like, what is Juneteenth? Here's all the info. And I read the whole thing. I fucking love Ben and Jerry's. I will eat that overpriced ice cream for the rest of my life. I actually Those just guys bought are great. A, I just bought a tub of Ben and Jerry's last night. I got uh, milk and cookies because I was mm. like, they had that or they had Hagen dazs And I was like, well, obviously, I'm going to support Ben and Jerry's during this time. I'll be honest, Haagen-Dazs is fucking delicious, but because of Ben and Jerry, who they are as people, I will always choose to buy their ice cream. Exactly, Um, exactly. And I also got a lot of information, and I suggest if you guys have not listened to this, to go to The Daily. The Daily put out an episode on Juneteenth on Friday. And they are talking to a woman named Dinah Ramey Berry, who's a professor of history at the University of Texas. So she gives really, really good context. But what I loved about the Ben and Jerry kind of like article that I read was that they gave a certain amount of context that I hadn't even 
seen in other resources. And that is that Juneteenth is sometimes called America's True Independence Day. And that is because, if you think about it, of course, like, which is something that never occurred to me as a child until I got older. Same thing with, you know, the day when we celebrate the woman's right to vote that happened in 1920. That didn't mean all women. The same thing with Independence Day being July 4th, 1776, that really only represented freedom for white male Americans. Mm -hmm. And so in his Independence Day remarks in 1852, Frederick Douglass, who was an escaped slave and an abolitionist who we've talked about before, he asked, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim. So I think that that's important to put that in context because I've seen a lot of white people especially getting very up in arms about this idea that we should replace the 4th of July with Juneteenth. Right. Uh, And... I've seen a lot of that as well. I've seen a lot of people getting frustrated. Uh, Actually, this morning one of the first things I saw was on Facebook. I am actually using Facebook these days and I'm not loving it, but it's important. Um, And I noticed that a, it's like a second cousin's daughter. So I don't really know how we're related, but her great grandfather. So I'm related by marriage, sculpted a sculpture of Christopher Columbus for it to be up in Minneapolis. And that's one of the sculptures that was taken down. So I I completely understand separating the subject to the art. I do support them taking it down, but I kind of feel bad for her. It was like it's part of her family and things like that. So I was just kind of reading that article and looking into that, and I saw a lot of comments of people that were saying, oh, what's next? Are we going to start changing every sports team name? And Max was like, yep. Yeah, probably. And the other one was, what, are we just going to get rid of every federal holiday and start over? And I so badly just wanted to comment and be like, that sounds great. Well, and here's the thing from in in my personal opinion, I don't have a problem um, celebrating and acknowledging the 4th of July, because I do think that the 4th of July is a part of American history. It's part of a bigger story. Uh, But if we are going to celebrate the 4th of July, we need to also acknowledge everything else. Uh, And I think that that's what people are coming to terms with right now is that we're realizing how whitewashed our history has been. And so when we're saying these things that like this is the true Independence Day, it's not to say that that other day doesn't have importance or doesn't have meaning. It's that we need to also recognize the meaning of all of these other days because they are just as American. And just because the history is painful doesn't mean that we shouldn't look at it. Right. And I think that that ties into privilege so so much which I think is obvious to most of our listeners but for those of you where it isn't as obvious you know that is it's a lot of privilege showing that people would immediately get defensive and want to protect the 4th of July when I honestly think that most people kind of think like you and I do where we're not trying to get rid of the 4th of July or anything like that but we're asking why can't we celebrate these other things too if we're going to commemorate all of these people that may have been shitty but did monumental things for the country why can't we celebrate all different kinds of great 
Americans through time. Right. And contributions. Exactly. Absolutely. And the thing that so, I love about Juneteenth is that, yes, it's it's a sad, sad history. But the thing that I loved so much about researching this episode is that so much of the resources that I was reading from were about the celebrations and about the traditions and the cultures that came out of these celebrations and how, you know, what happened once the enslaved were, quote unquote, freed? You know, it's it's just another story of this reconstruction and the way that this culture is so rich and vibrant. And, you know, we're going to obviously get into all of this, but even hearing the stories of slaves, you know, you know, allegedly, you know, taking their their, you know, enslaved clothes off and putting on other clothing and reclaiming their culture and reclaiming who they are, I think is one of the really amazing things to celebrate about Juneteenth. Right. It's a beautiful day of liberation. And I know that a lot of people have questions as to why uh, Juneteenth is is a holiday and also how it took so long uh, for these particular enslaved peoples to be freed because a lot of people will say, well, the Emancipation Proclamation happened two and a half years before uh, Juneteenth, which was June 19th, 1965. No, and 1865, so, baby, not oh, 1965. Whoa, um, <laughs> 1865, yes, of course. Uh, June 19th, 1865, when the Emancipation Proclamation was declared on January 1st, 1863. And yeah. even with the Juneteenth date, it's still two months after General Lee's surrender. So what took so long? Um, why didn't the Emancipation Proclamation free all the slaves? So something that I looked into more was the history of Abraham Lincoln and what his views were. Because that's something that I've been seeing a lot on social media is talking about whether or not Abraham Lincoln was an abolitionist. And this is something that I feel like was really, really murky in schools. So I did want to do a little bit of reading about this because I feel that this really does put into perspective maybe why it did take a little bit longer for it to reach Texas. So Although President Lincoln did believe that slavery was morally wrong, uh, it was sanctioned by the Constitution at the time. So that was one thing that was kind of uh, that he was up against. There was a fugitive slave clause and the three fifths clause that we've uh, spoken about in past Black History Month episodes. Um, So while Lincoln himself was working alongside real abolitionists on behalf of the anti-slavery clause, he didn't count himself among them. It wasn't until the emancipation, then later the 13th Amendment, to sway the abolitionists. So because of his participation alongside the abolitionists to end slavery, they kind of believed that his moral standpoint would be right along with them. But he, in fact, did not believe that black people should have the same rights as white people. Um, He argued that the phrase all men are created equal applied to black and white people. But during the 1858 series of debates with an opponent, uh, he was accused of supporting, quote, Negro equality. And at another debate, he wanted to make it very clear that that was not his stance. He says, and I quote, I will say that I am not nor have ever been in favor of bringing about an any way the social and political equality of white and black races and then he went on to say that he opposed their right to vote their right to serve on juries hold office or intermarry with white people 
Right. And he even says, which is something that you see a lot of. And again, this is another thing to to talk about when we talk about like the whitewashing of history is because in my history class, in my history textbooks, you would completely believe that from the get go, the um, Abraham Lincoln's primary motivation for the Emancipation Proclamation and also the Civil War is because he was an abolitionist, which is not true. He even says that if he could maintain the um, institution of slavery and unite the country, he would do that, but he just couldn't. And he did evolve, his views did evolve and change after the Emancipation Proclamation. Throughout the Civil War, his views did change and he became more progressive about uh, rights for African-American people. Right. It just never got as far as equality. That wasn't That wasn't his agenda. His agenda was to bring the country together, like Hegan said, and his agenda still was to make sure that the white population was still seen as being superior to any other minority group. So it is, you know, that's the thing is that we can still commemorate Lincoln for the Emancipation Proclamation and for the 13th Amendment and, you know, honor him for the good things that he's done but still realize that there were shortcomings in him. We can't put him on a pedestal to something that he wasn't, you know? Absolutely. We need to look at these things. We need to look at the entirety of these things. And I think that that is what's happening right now, is that that's what we're saying, is don't get rid of American history. Don't erase our history. Don't forget it. Just give us an accurate portrayal of that history. Right. Uh, And so I think also with this, there is some confusion about the Emancipation Proclamation. We just believe or I believed or had the idea that when the Emancipation Proclamation happened, all slaves were free. We had to go, you know, free the slaves. And like that was it kind of wash your hands of it. But Lincoln actually didn't free any of the approximately four million men, women and children held in slavery in the United States when he signed the formal Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, The document only applied to enslaved people in the Confederacy and not those in the border states. And so it was also kind of used as this recruitment tactic to try and convince black men in the North to sign up to participate in the Union Army. So it, it, it I mean, while, of course, it did a really, really great thing, it's a really, really great thing that it happened, uh, it's not as straightforward as a lot of people would have you believe. Right, exactly. And the other thing that's good to remember is that especially if you are not a citizen of the United States and you are a fan of this podcast, Texas at one point was its own country. There is a, Texas is weird, in my opinion. I have so many friends from Texas and I love them so much. The love of my life is from Texas. It's a fucking weird state to me. I don't understand it. But they, and because they were so secluded they kind of had different ways of doing things. They had different ways of communicating with the rest of the country. They had very much a mindset that they were uh, independent, you know? Well, they, they still kind of believe that. There oh, totally. is this air when you're in Texas of like, they they are Texans before they're Americans, honestly. Like, that's how yeah. it feels. Yeah, and I um, and I make fun of, uh, anytime we watched, um, have you ever seen the movie Giant, Keegan? I feel like I have like years ago. It's um, Liz Taylor, Rock Hudson, Mm -hmm. James Dean. Every single listener right now, when you're done with this episode, go watch it because it is so amazing. It's such a good movie. Um, It is a good movie. Yeah. yeah. But oh shit, what was I going to say? What were we talking about? Texas being weird. Oh yeah. So, So we were watching the movie and there's just this scene 
where there's a party and it's like there's thunder and rain coming through the doors of this hotel and everyone's getting wet and the women who just got ready, their hair is going everywhere and they're all just going, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I just turned to Max and he goes, that's what you do in Texas. And then there's a yeah. one scene where someone walks in and just goes, howdy, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and all of that is, it might look like a joke, but it's like high key the way that they actually are it's there. I mean, really, I'm not saying everywhere or no. every person, but I mean, and to be honest, I'm from New Mexico and that shit is very common there too. It's like, <laughs> if so you're in rural, like white New Mexico, it's very much the same way. Like cowboy culture is a real fucking thing. And oh, yeah. so Texas in 1965 was home to about 250,000 enslaved people. And it was also very remote. Like we were saying, it wasn't touched very much by the rest of the country, what the rest of the country was going through. And so there were a minimal number of Union troops there to enforce the emancipation. And nobody had heard about the collapse of the Confederacy. So two months earlier, the Confederacy had collapsed. Uh, Robert E. Lee had surrendered in April of 1965. And it wasn't until two months later that this news actually reached Texas. Although there is some... There is some debate as to why it took so long. So there has been a story that was told that said a messenger was murdered on his way to Texas with the news of freedom. Another is that the news was deliberately withheld by the enslavers to maintain the labor force on the plantations. And then there is another that say that federal union troops actually waited for the slave owners to reap the benefits of one last cotton harvest uh, before going to Texas to enforce the emancipation right. process. Yeah. And uh, I mean, this was stuff that you got from the Juneteenth website because I was reading along with you and they were, you know, talking about how, you know, obviously this was so long ago that we don't really know exactly what happened or why it took so long. But I have a feeling that it was probably a a mix of a lot of these things. I think that in the South, they they wanted to hold on to slavery. So I would assume that depending on the person, that there were lots of ways that this message was meant to be kept from the enslaved in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's probably a combination of all of those things. I also do think that there wasn't as much of a union presence there. So there it was wasn't not, until... There actually, there actually wasn't many... Like you said, they were try to, trying to recruit uh, soldiers, like black soldiers from different parts of the country to join the union. Uh, Texas had the smallest number of black union soldiers. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't until uh, General Granger... General Granger's regiment arrived that there were enough Union soldiers there to actually enforce the emancipation and overcome any resistance. Because before, if there were a small number of Union soldiers, they were clearly outnumbered, you know, and so it would be very difficult to enforce anything. Right. So let's make really clear that when we are now we are talking about Major General Gordon Granger here, which I immediately think of Hermione Granger. I'm sure you did too, (laughs) Kagan. And um, this we are talking about the man and the Union soldiers that went with him that went into Texas on June 19th, 1865 and read out General Order Number 3, which then commemorates the celebration of Juneteenth. So General Order Number 3 was written by General Granger. And I have here part of the first paragraph. Keegan's going to finish it up here. He said... 
The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of right and the rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired laborer. And very often what you'll see on a lot of these websites, it will stop right there uh, to kind of like give you the joyful bit mm-hmm. of of that proclamation. However, the very next sentence, because I, I think very often we can be like, oh, General Granger, what a guy. Right. But then the, the very next sentence is, the freedmen are advised to remain at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere so basically they're like you're free but we want you to stay here working for the people who had enslaved you that would be our suggestion i thought that was a recommendation because i didn't think that it was like you have to stay here Oh, no, it is a recommendation. It is a recommendation. They are recommending that they stay there. But they are also saying, I mean, you've had these people enslaved for hundreds of years uh, at this point, and you're saying that you are not providing them any Any assistance. Basically, like, you cannot gather at military posts. Like, we're not going to help you. We suggest that you stay here and that idleness will not be tolerated. So it's basically like, you guys should keep working, right? essentially. Uh, So it's not perfect, once again. It's not perfect. It's not the most eloquent way that he could have said that. But however, when formerly enslaved people heard the news, of course, they celebrated. Uh, And it was said to be a day of great jubilee they danced they sang they fled their plantations and in the 1930s the workers progress administration interviewed formerly enslaved people and many of those enslaved people in texas those who had been enslaved in texas recalled the events of june 19th 1965 now i'm not going to read these word for word but i suggest you go listen to uh the daily and listen to some of these firsthand accounts because it's actually really powerful and moving um and mo- and they talk about how a lot of the people, there was this kind of like mass exodus where they all left right away. They gathered their things and they took to the streets, marching down the streets, singing and celebrating, beating drums. Um, and that's, I, I just, it's such a joyful kind of. Right. Well, because for so many, they believed that freedom, that leaving was going to be their best chance of freedom and there's something so wonderful about these this very carefree nature of celebration that I was reading about and thinking of the liberation and the excitement that they were feeling at the time now knowing the hardships that were to come um, but thinking about the happiness at this time you know so many started traveling north or going to other surrounding states like Louisiana and Arkansas and Oklahoma in hopes of finding long lost family and they wanted to start kind of rebuilding their culture again because like we've spoken about so many times through slavery, the cultures of the black community were stripped away. And so to me, when I was reading about these celebrations, it was kind of like, it was kind of like this sigh of relief, breath of fresh air that for the moment they could be themselves and have a direction and a place to go. Even if, even if it wasn't going to be easy and they were scared, they knew that they had the ability to go somewhere. And to me, that's a really inspiring uh, vision in my head. 
Yeah. And they also had this really beautiful opportunity to create their own culture. Right. Because, you know, I've said it before on this podcast, I feel like it's not said enough. I feel like it's not recognized enough that for African Americans or anybody who really, like, you know, was a victim of the transatlantic slave trade, whose culture was a victim of of the the slave trade, your culture has been completely taken from you. You have no idea. I have no idea where my ancestors came from in Africa. And that is a, a massive continent, you know, with uh, and, uh, and the continent has completely different cultures and different traditions. And so black Americans had to find a way to mesh all of their traditions together because languages were lost. Um, celebrations that they typically would have participated in, participated and were lost. And so they had to create something brand new. And that's why when we say black culture, that's what that means. African-American culture, that's what that means because it's something very specific to this group of people who live here. It's not African culture. It's not um, Cameroonian culture or Ugandan culture or Nigerian culture. It is African-American culture. Um, and they were able to kind of create their own thing right. now. And Which that's is, very exciting. It's exciting to me. That sounds liberating. Uh, but I do understand, you know, there's so much of me where I think so much about where I come from and the countries that my ancestors came from. And I, you know, I do know so much and I, I still want to know more. And that's something that I'm very lucky that I can do. I have booklets and pamphlets of you know, past ancestors and family members, I know where I come from. And that's something that I didn't realize till I was older that I'm very, very lucky and privileged to, to know. I think, you know. Yeah. And I, I think that that's something that like, when people try and argue, well, why can't we have a white history month? Why can't we have, you know, these specific things? Why can't I be proud of my skin color? And it's, it's twisted because it's not necessarily that black people are proud of their skin color, although that is something that came out of the byproduct of the black power movement is taking something that society has told you traditionally for hundreds of years is ugly and finding the beauty in that. And there is a lot of pride in skin color because of that. It is more than that. It is the black Black pride is the pride of our entire heritage and culture um, that we have created as a people because we can't go back right. and and trace our and our it, heritage. You can have Irish pride, you know what I mean, but you can't I have mean, I don't. white pride. <laughs> yeah, and but that you was, know what I'm saying. Yeah, and that was something that uh, I just you talking about this. I remember when I was little. It's funny when some people say things that like actually triggers like visions of memories. And I remember watching TV in the basement and flipping through the channels. And we had like just gotten cable, and I saw BET, and I was watching it. And I thought to myself because, like we've said, race. And racism is a social construct. I was very much, I had very different looking friends growing up. In my head at the time, I didn't understand uh, why we needed to uplift the black culture. Didn't understand. So I went upstairs to my mom. And I'm pretty sure I just straight up was like, why isn't there a white entertainment television? And she pretty much explained exactly that to me. I don't remember exactly what she said, but was basically like, because, you know, that's the same reason we have a Black History Month. It's celebrating, you know, these people that have gone through harder times than you have and things like that. And it's interesting to think of the people that never were taught that. 
And that's what people right. don't understand. Well, yeah. And that's why cultural appropriation mm-hmm. happens because in their minds, pride is too much. Pride, gay pride is too much. Black pride is too much because it's, right. it's, it's you're because shoving it in our face. You know what I mean? And that's just not true. It's not true. Well, I mean, and, and even if it were for people in marginalized communities, we have had white culture, white history shoved in our faces. Yeah. Every day, like, you know, straight culture has been shoved in your face every single day. Every other station, you know, on TV uplifts white culture. I was just going to say so, there's one BET and there, you know, at the time, I think I had 101 channels. There was 100 more channels that pretty much only featured white people. But that was the first right. time that I that I noticed that there was a difference between uh, my culture that I grew up in and my understanding of where I come from and the difference in the black culture culture now I'm not saying after that moment I was like suddenly quote-unquote woke and knew everything no, but that's because that's I'm a white girl from the Midwest and it was the first moment for me that I realized why it's okay to celebrate you know the differences and why I don't have to be the center of attention I don't have to be the most important person all the time we can celebrate other cultures and other things and have that be you know part of right America Part of the and that's how it us. happens. It happens little by little over time. Everybody is still learning. You know, there's been a lot of growth that's happened this year for everybody, like myself included. Like that's just that's just part of this process. Exactly. Um, so in 1866, black codes started being enforced. So this is a year after Juneteenth, and much like Jim Crow, which would come later that I feel like people are far more familiar with, right. uh, the black codes of 1866 really restricted black Americans from doing everyday activities, including where they could go, how they could celebrate. Um, 1866 was also the year that the KKK was founded in Tennessee. Nevertheless, uh, especially in Texas, formerly enslaved people uh, and their families continued to celebrate Juneteenth. In their backyards, they held barbecues in, in churches. The elders would come and speak to the young people about life as an enslaved person yeah. uh, and what it meant to be free and why that was so important and why we needed to hold on on to that. Right. And, you know, a lot of the videos that I was watching of these celebrations uh, showed you know, a, there's a pageant that goes on. I just sent you the trailer for a new movie called Juneteenth that kind of focuses around the pageant. Isn't it a Miss, bit. Miss Juneteenth? Mi- I think? Miss Juneteenth, yes. Yeah. And um, I really want to see it. Um, there's lots of specific foods that are eaten there that's very tied to the celebration. Something that uh, I learned when I went to this Juneteenth celebration on Friday was that there were a lot of foods that became popular and synonymous with Juneteenth celebrations, including uh, a lot of fancy meats. There were barbecuing. Uh, there was barbecuing that happened, and um, those things. The the eating of like special meats that maybe weren't available all the time. Um, those things were to kind of feel a closeness to enslaved ancestors because they would have been eating or smelling kind of the same thing. So a lot of these celebrations take place around barbecue right, you're, pits. You're in that environment that the that your ancestors were in. Yes. But what I learned at this event was that there are other things like uh, strawberry soda pop, which they mention yes. in the Juneteenth um Uh, .com website, but other red foods such as watermelon and red velvet cake were 
also traditionally eaten. Like in the beginning, a lot of communities would eat um, mostly red foods to symbolize the blood that was lost from your enslaved ancestors, um, all the blood that was spilled. So that is something that is traditionally done in a lot of places as well. Wow, that's really cool. Okay, so I remember what I was thinking, uh, tying into the food and the celebrations and so many of these uh, things that have become staples for Juneteenth, all of it is rooted on education and self-improvement. That's where I was going with, because you were talking about the elders coming and speaking and other guest speakers that come. And I think that that's the best approach, especially for a younger generation to have have such a fun day filled with things that kids love to do like at some places uh there's fishing they're near water there's other games that are involved in races but then all throughout the day there's this sense of education through it so that the next generation can then carry it on and that to me is something that's really cool right and the event that I went to they did focus on they, there was a focus on Education. So there was a ton of act, like just celebration, celebratory stuff, um, musical acts, dancing, things like that. But they did throw in those tidbits of information, uh, like I just mentioned, with the food. And um, it was also dressing was very important. It was a very important element in early Juneteenth customs, as is basically anything in the black community. If you've ever gone to a black church, you will know <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about as far as like getting dressed up is actually... The fashion. Yeah, I mean, and I understand it as well. And I, I do think all of it is rooted in in this idea uh, that that slaves were not allowed to wear certain things. They weren't right. allowed to to dress. Express themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's lived on even now. I, I remember going to church with my black family was very different than going to church with my white family. There was this kind of very button up. You wear the you wear the Mary Janes and the hose and the, the matching suit and the hat. And you, you know, you do well, the whole thing. Yeah. And it's evolved even past that. It's evolved into I mean, we've talked in our cultural appropriation episode, we were talking about a lot of you know, fashion that's come from black culture. And it all started with that as well. The moment that people are allowed to be who they are and express themselves, whether that be through a minority group of, you know, your race or whether that be you're part of the LGBTQ community as well. Once you're able to be yourself and express yourself in a certain way, it evolves and it evolves and it evolves, you know, so where it started with the formerly enslaved, you know, taking off their you know, slave clothes and putting on something new that felt like them to me is similar as seeing, you know, a black fashion designer honoring his heritage in some way, in a way that's modern. It's cool to me to see how the culture evolves and grows and what it meant to be, you know, what it might've meant to be black then and what it might've meant to be black now and how those celebrations are evolving as well. Yeah. And like you were saying, it, it is a really cool thing that they, there, there was said to have been a lot of formerly enslaved people who stole clothes from their former slaveholders yeah. at the plantations on their way out. They're like, I'm just going to take one of these on my way out. Exactly. And on their exodus away from their plantations, they stripped themselves of their rats essentially that they were forced to wear threw them into the river and changed into these new garments which uh, I think is so symbolic it's such a fuck you in a beautiful way totally 
Um, because of the great migration that happened when 6 million African Americans um, out of the rural southern United States relocated to the urban Northeast, Midwest, and West beginning in 1916. Right. Yes, when when the Great Depression came, uh, it was harder and harder for people to remain in rural areas, especially for the black community needing jobs. They needed to go to more urban areas, such as Chicago, especially, in order to find uh, jobs for their families. Yes. Yeah. And so the Great Migration started in 1916, but it went really through. There was a, a consistent surge of African-Americans moving north until 1970. And because of that, Juneteenth celebrations began to spread to communities outside of Texas and became an African-American holiday that represented a true Independence Day when all Americans were finally free. Exactly. And something that is interesting kind of about the waves of the popularity of this celebration, it very much has to do with the locations of where uh, the predominantly black areas were, especially moving out of the rural areas and into the city. It became harder and harder to find a place to celebrate. Many people did not want to, you know, let the black community borrow their land for their Juneteenth celebrations. Well, and in the South, especially where Jim Crow laws were beginning to be enforced pretty strictly in the 1930s and 40s, Juneteenth celebrations were once again kind of pushed indoors and celebrated very quietly amongst families or in churches and for people who were living in those communities. Right. And shortly before 1898, uh, it's one of the earliest documented uh, purchased land plots in the name of Juneteenth. Uh, it was purchased by Reverend Jack Yates. He fundraised basically to get $1,000 and he purchased the Emancipation Park in Texas. And like I said, that would have been probably a little bit before 1898. And so they there was a place for people to go that was theirs. But especially with having to work during the Great Depression as time went on, people weren't able to leave their towns and go to Texas to celebrate every year. And a lot of times, like we were dealing with this year, a lot of times employers were not letting their black employees off of work to go celebrate either. So right. things, so that's why there were so many waves. There were times where it was really suppressed and pushed down and not celebrated. And Keegan and I were discussing before the show, as we see different civil rights movements picking up, we start to see more celebrations of Juneteenth. Yes. So uh, speaking of that, so in the 1960s, with the civil rights movement and the black power movement, public Juneteenth celebrations began to make a resurgence. And on June 19th, 1968, Coretta Scott King addressed a crowd in Washington, D.C., and she spoke about slavery and freedom to a crowd of 75,000 people. And this historic Juneteenth celebration was televised. So the celebrations began to grow grow among communities across the country, black communities across the country, because it was exposed on this huge level in a way right. that it hadn't been acknowledged before. In um, 1980, Juneteenth was finally recognized as a state holiday in mm -hmm. Texas, uh, with some of the celebrations becoming bigger than ever, again, yeah. a lot of times in that Emancipation Park. So there were now large citywide parades, barbecues, picnics, and um, sharing of oral histories. Can I actually mention something really quick about yeah. uh, it becoming a national holiday? So, or a state holiday. 
or a state holiday, sorry. So something that is interesting to me is that it was a man named Al Edwards who was a black state legislator who helped get Juneteenth to become recognized as a state holiday. And it was marked as the first emancipation celebration and granted official state recognition. Uh, He has since, you know, he just passed away actually about a month ago on April 29th. This Al Edwards was still with us up until then. And he spent his life uh, advocating for the observance of the Juneteenth holiday. He worked alongside Martin Luther King Jr. and Reverend Jesse Jackson. Many opposed his bill to make Juneteenth a recognized holiday. But he overcame these obstacles by... Cutting controversial, <laughs> cutting controversial deals with political opponents, such as supporting a bill that passed after Edwards helped pass an anti-abortion legislation. So he wasn't perfect. Not perfect. He might have he might have uh, traded abortion for Juneteenth, but I still find his story fascinating. Surrounding how it became a recognized and still incredibly important, um, exactly. especially for the African American community in Texas. Not so much Um, for other communities. Let's be honest. Texas was always going to support um, anti-abortion legislation in the 1980s. (laughs) 100%. It would have happened anyways. But I I couldn't just mention the good stuff. I had to mention uh, problematic things as well. Two months. Because he died in April? He died April 29th of this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So two two months. months, Yeah. yeah. What month Um, is it? I know exactly. I was like, we're all like fucked up mentally about like what about time. I was like, it's May 30th, right? (laughs) Uh, In the 90s, after the murder of 15 year old Latasha Harlins, which if you don't know this story, it is really, really devastating. There was a lot. Watch LA 92, you guys. It is heartbreaking. And one of the hardest things I've ever had to watch. I cried through the entire thing, but it is so fucking good. But they show her being killed and I was not prepared for it there was no warning and it fucked me up right so basically what happened was a Korean store owner shot and killed 15 year old Latasha Harlins in Los Angeles because she said that the girl was stealing orange orange juice juice. yeah and that was in 1991 and her murderer received only five years probation so these things are are leading. They're building and building. Obviously, the African uh, the African American community was outraged by this because it seemed like the this fifteen year old's life wasn't worth more than five years probation, which is well, right. absolutely crazy. And it wasn't, and it wasn't worth more than a bottle of orange juice. You know uh, what yes. I mean? It's just yes. it's so that part of the documentary, especially, uh, was. Uh, it definitely got my like social justice heart beating as far as like justice reform and things like that. I was yeah, like, abso- absolutely. This. I mean, and then on top of that, the next year in 1992, the beating of Rodney King by mm-hmm. L.A. police officers, which was spread far and wide. I mean, it it, it really like it took off. It was kind of one of the very first um, instances of this videotaping of police brutality right Um, you see a lot of uh similarities between you know the protesting and the looting that was happening a lot within the last month or so and obviously the rodney king uprising was uh probably a little bit less organized a little bit more chaos than what's going on today right there was a lot of did start to see a lot of people recording not only the violence that was happening to Rodney King and to other victims but they were starting to record what was happening during this uprising how these people were attacking each other and it was a really eye-opening moment I feel like for 
American history to see this kind of horrible downfall to be aware of kind of like we all are now being aware of uh, how the police take their role and things like that. Right, right. Yeah, because I mean, Los Angeles was on fire, like the entire city was on fire because no one did anything about it. People were furious. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, this happens. It's cyclical. It happens all the time. It's like you push and push and push the black community for so long. And it's just like injustice on top of injustice on top of injustice. And eventually the bow breaks. Right. And like people can't deal with it anymore. And so, you know, when the police officers were acquitted, that is when it led to citywide uprisings and protests. And much like today, this led to a resurgence of Juneteenth celebrations among black Americans across the country. Right. You actually see uh, there were a lot of young kids. There was youth a lot wearing um, Juneteenth buttons that you see in a lot of these videos and photos and yes the message of Juneteenth I think uh, was trying to be spread during this time and I think that was also another really important time for it to be kind of put up on a pedestal because of the hurt and the pain that had been going on so much like today I think that you know, as horrible as this last month had been in order to have Juneteenth happen when it did, to have one day where we can still focus on education and elevating black voices, but still remembering uh, the triumphs. I think it's important. It was important then and it's important in 2020. Yes, exactly. On the daily, actually, they said something that I thought was so perfect that I quoted it. And it said, the story of Juneteenth is cyclical. It's the story of cycles of joy and pain living side by side. So I and I think that that cycle should stop in the way that it should be something that is recognized every year. I think that's just especially now that we've learned so much about it and we've celebrated it this year. I don't think that there's any reason that it should stop. Right. And I do know that Cory Booker and Kamala Harris are pushing for legislation to make Juneteenth a national holiday. I do think we will see that happen in our lifetimes. I I do believe that. But I just loved that quote so much because since the inception of this holiday, that is what it has been. It is this intense, miraculous, incredible joy. It's honoring the resilience of this community um, while also recognizing that this community, this culture is founded on tremendous pain, Mm -hmm. tremendous pain. And every time we as a community experience this kind of... um, cultural sharing of, of trauma. trauma yeah which has happened which happened in you know the 60s it happened in the 90s it's happening right now but every that 30 years when, are we catching the trend yeah that is when we we cling to our heritage and we right. want to honor something that is so beautiful and so today we celebrate Juneteenth as a time to recognize African American freedom but to also recognize the restraints that still exist and how much further we have to go Dr. Dinah from uh, the Daily said that this is a moment to celebrate gains and losses right. and I think that that is so true and accurate it gives us a nice barometer of like where we began, where we are now, and where we need to go. Exactly. And I think that, you know, kind of like I was saying before, if we've gotten this momentum going and we can continue this Juneteenth celebration, I feel like it could be a good start 
to educating the masses more because I feel like, especially in the U.S., if you want to throw out a celebration for people to barbecue and party, that people... And have the day off work, And have the day off work. Like, I feel like people are going to get down with it. And then because of that, it's going to have to be taught in schools. It's going to have to be talked about. Why do we have the day off? So I think that could be really cool because it's a way that I feel like is gentle enough for the snowflake Republicans of the world to tolerate eventually. (laughs) But then also it could create I'm not saying tomorrow I'm saying years from now they're like it's a day off and a celebration but at the same time you can't help but learn something from it you know so I think that that's the thing that I am the most excited about with the prospect of potentially having Juneteenth be a national holiday is that we will no longer be able to kind of sweep this history under the rug or whitewash this history uh, that we will actually have to turn and face it in all of its like beautiful joy and also all of its horrific pain. Yeah. Um, I think that that is something that I'm really looking forward to that people grow up knowing and understanding this history uh, so that we don't have to have these same conversations 30 years from now, you know, exactly, exactly. It's just, it's about changing it from the base. And I think especially with, you know, looking forward to the next generation, that's the most, you know, exciting part. It's building something else, a new foundation for the next generation to build off of. And if that's just normal for them to celebrate Juneteenth, then that's even better, you know? Right. I, I feel like truly that is why I am pushing as hard as I am pushing and that's why I'm as vocal as as I have been, as I have ever been in my entire life. It's because I don't want to have to keep doing this. I right. feel like already in my lifetime, this is we've done this how many times? Like it is right. cyclical and it keeps happening and I don't want future generations to have to feel the way that I felt and I don't want them to have to grow up with this so I want there to be change and I feel like for the first time since I've been alive I feel like that might be achievable on a system-wide national level Uh, and that's super exciting it is and I've got to say it's very nice to see uh, the spark in your eyes light up a little bit as you're talking about especially when we've had a lot of really tough conversations the last few weeks so to see you uh, especially being excited about something is a happy thing for me to witness instead oh, of thank you, you feeling sad and angry, uh, you know. Still sad and angry, but oh, also of helpful. <laughs> of course, you know, that's the thing is we've got to take our, our wins when we get them. So I think celebrating Juneteenth, talking about Juneteenth, talking to others about it, it's only going to make the world a better place. Agreed, you know? agreed. All right, everybody. We really hope that you've learned a lot this episode. Uh, We really hope that you've enjoyed it. If there's anything that we missed out on or if there's something that you want to add, if there are Juneteenth celebrations in your family that you want to tell us about, send us pictures. I'd love to see them. Please uh, email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Before I do the rest, is it cool with you if I do a really quick shout out for the prints that my friends and I have been doing? Yeah, of course. 
Okay, so at Impact Prints on Instagram, you guys can go and purchase uh, lino cut prints, which are really cool. It's kind of this like rubbery material that we carve into the negative space to create a picture. And then it kind of becomes this stamp and we can recreate all these beautiful prints. And we are selling them, I believe, between... 10 and 20 dollars i believe and right now we are donating to reclaim the block we are going to be changing our organizations every single week as of right now to where we are going to be donating the money so if there's you know one organization that you're really holding out for and you want to recommend it to us go ahead and message impact prints as well and we can do that Um, i'm really proud of what we've done we've sold over like almost 550 dollars worth of Prince. That's amazing. able to donate, th- donate that much money. I'm incredibly proud. My friends have done m- most of the work. I'm so proud of them. Um, so please uh, go to their page and show them some love. Donate and have a beautiful art print that goes along with it. My friend Caitlin is a graphic designer. So she is an amazing, amazing artist and has done such amazing things. Um, you can also, where were we? Twitter for us. I tweeted a few more things last night. You can go ahead and follow us there at Yamp Podcast. Y A N F Podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. We have a business and group page. Go ahead and rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. Give each other some support, you know? Let's see. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We really, really, really appreciate it. And if you don't already, go ahead and listen to us on Radio Public. It's a free way for you to listen, and it helps us out just a little bit. All right, everybody. That's all we have for you today. With all of that being said, we encourage you to To rage on. Bye. Hey, Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? (laughs) Your search is at an (laughs) end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy, or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.